Our text today is from the book of Romans in chapter 5, and we're beginning in verse 6. And we're going to read verses 6 through 11. Romans chapter 5 and verses 6 through 11. Paul in this passage of scripture is talking about the grace of Almighty God that transforms us. Now, why do we need grace? We need grace because we have sin in our life. And the only way we can have fellowship with holy God is that our sin be removed and replaced by the holiness of God. And that's what this chapter is really all about. Uh, one of the passages that is most familiar for those of you who do evangelism is in verse 8. You will recognize that as part of Paul's plan of salva uh, salvation for all who will trust Christ as Savior and Lord. So today I'm going to talk about three things. I'm going to talk about the uh, magnitude of our sin. We're going to talk about the marvel of the grace of God. And then we're going to talk about the motivation that we have to be gracious to others because we have received grace from God. Beginning in verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Now who are those ungodly people out there? Well, that's you and me. For all have sinned, he said in chapter 3, and uh, fallen short of the glory of God. For in verse 7, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also rejoice or exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Paul begins here talking about the magnitude of our sin. And there are, there are three words that he uses to describe the condition of being in sin. And one is the word sinner. And the other word is the word enemy. In verse 10 he says we were enemies to God. Can you imagine? God in his holiness and us in our sin we were declared enemies of God. But instead of God destroying his enemy, you and me, he destroyed the sin that created the animosity between us and holy God. So what is sin? If we are enemies of God, if we are uh, sinners, if we are uh, ungodly, that's the third word that he uses here, just what is sin and how does it separate us from God? Hear this clearly. Sin is missing the target. Uh, the word in the New Testament here for sin, harmatia, means missing the target. There are other words in the Bible for sin, uh, like transgression means stepping over the boundary, stepping over the line. But here the word sin is harmatia, which means missing the target. Uh, this uh, summer we had um, a class here on Wednesday night, or this spring, a class on Wednesday night for our youth, and we shot some archery and we hit the target and there's a lot of competition in the world now of archery it's an Olympic skill as as well 
sin is aiming toward the bullseye and missing it. Meaning that God, who is perfect and holiness, uh, de designed us in a way that we would have a relationship with Him. And we had that relationship in the Garden of Eden, but since then, we sin. Adam and Eve sin, and all since Adam have sinned. And we inherited that, that tendency to want to lean towards sin all of our life. So sin is any thought or action that falls short of God's will for our life. God is perfect. Anything we do that falls short of His perfection is called sin. God's will is like the center of that target in archery. And when we sin, we fall short of His will or His mark. Sin is also measured with different consequences. Sin is measured with different consequences in our life. Not all sin is alike, but sin is sin. But not all sin is alike. Stealing a loaf of bread is different than exterminating a million uh, people as Hitler did in World War II. But theologians have sought to, for centuries to determine what the essence of sin really is. And some have chosen such things as sensuality, selfishness, pride, unbelief. All these in the Old Testament, God applied different penalties to these. Now listen carefully at some of the behaviors that we have approved today in our modern society. In the Old Testament, these sins missed the mark of God's perfection, so much so that the penalty for these sins was death. The sin of being a thief resulted in uh, restitution. If you were practicing an occult, you were cut off from Israel and were not allowed to practice the economy or the jobs that Israel offered you. If a person committed adultery or a homosexual act or cursed their parents, they were put to death. Can you imagine that? That is just how serious the Old Testament law of God demanded that sin be paid for. In the New Testament, Paul writes about so many other sins, so many other behaviors that are chosen by us to sin. He calls them the works of the flesh. Sarx is the Greek word for flesh, meaning that nature that we have that leans towards sin. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, he says. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, all of these things, he says, I warn you, as I warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know what all these things had in common? What all these sinful behaviors have in common? All these have in common that we are self-destructing. All these behaviors are self-destructive behaviors. When people reject God, they turn in on themselves. That's why sin is so abhorrent to God, is that it destroys the very, the most precious a part of God's creation. That's you and me. And God loves us so much, it, it hurts the heart of God that we would destroy each other through these sins. 
Envy comes about when people are not content with what God has given them, longing instead for what he has given others. Drunkenness is an example of how people misuse God's gift in destructive, sinful ways, in rebellion against God as the gracious giver of all that's good to us. In the Old Testament, wine was associated with joy and celebration, but when it's abused, it was seen as a highly destructive thing. Drunkenness is consistently condemned throughout the Scripture. Sex is a precious gift for a husband and wife, but when abused, it has highly destructive consequences for all involved. Sin defies the very creation of God. Sin destroys the very creation of God. And that's why God hates sin, is because it destroys what God loves, you and me. I have a quote here today by Charles Spurgeon who talks about the magnitude of sin. And when you think about the consequences of sin and how, how awful sin is in the Scripture and, and, and just how huge an issue it really is. See, we live in a culture now wherever you can decide what is right and wrong for yourself. God has no definition whatsoever. God's definition of sin is not even in the picture of how current culture, how our modern culture decides what is right and wrong. What's wrong for you is wrong for you. What is right for you is right for you. This is called relativism. And that's how we've come to define our behaviors in the modern day. We have ignored God's standard of what is right and wrong. And when Charles Spurgeon talked about the magnitude of our sin, he describes it this way. Listen to this carefully. He says, we, have, we arrive at a more adequate idea of the magnitude of sin by the greatness of the remedy that was provided. It is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's only and well-beloved Son. God's Son, whom He gave for our sin, is the only remedy for our sin. That describes for me the magnitude of sin, measured by the remedy that God provided, the blood of Jesus Christ, which covers our sin. So let's talk about this grace. Let's talk about this marvelous, infinite, matchless grace that the song referred to just a moment ago. God's grace is God's love pursuing you and me. God is always seeking you and me. Uh, we may be, you know, we may have an occasion in our life where things are not going well or we have a tragedy and we begin to call out to God. But God has been seeking us before we ever called out to Him. God is seeking you right now. He's seeking a love relationship with you. And He wants to give you the grace through the blood of Jesus Christ that was sacrificed on the cross. He wants to give you the grace that will remove the sin and reconcile us to holy God. One of the examples in the scripture is found in Luke chapter 15 where Jesus talks about the parable of the prodigal sons. Now usually we talk about the parable of the prodigal singular son, but both were prodigals. Uh, one left home and could not imagine that his father could forgive him, and, and the other, while he was still hanging around the house, uh, could not imagine the grace of God for the other brother. Both misunderstood their father, and both 
were distant from their father and from his love and from his grace. And so when the younger brother came back home, the father did something that no um, self-respecting dad would do. He would pursue the son. You remember that story very carefully. It says that the father went down the lane, uh, went outward uh, looking for his son. And finally when the boy came home, the father rejoiced. That's the pursuing love of God for you and me. I, I tell you, I, we just don't give God the credit for the grace and the beauty of his love for us. You know why? Because we really don't understand the magnitude of our sin. We are very flippant about sin. We have redefined sin so much that there is no sin. In fact, there's a book out, came out several years ago, Whatever Happened to Sin? Sin destroys. And it is the very love of God that pursues you and me to give us grace and mercy that returns that sin back to us. God's love that pursues us is radical. There's no definition in this world of sin except the cross of Jesus Christ. God's love for me, it, it, it's not like me laying down my life for my children. Look there in verse 7. For one would hardly die for a righteous man. Uh, you love your kids, you love your family, you love your nation. Uh, you would lay down your life perhaps for, for your children. But would you lay down your life for someone you didn't even know? God's love is like that. God's love for me is not like me laying down my life for my children. Hear this, hear this. God's love for me is not like me laying down my life for my children. God's love for me and you is like me laying down my life for the terrorist who murdered my children or showed up in a court to take the sentence of the terrorist himself. That's the love of God. Several years ago, there was an Amish family that uh, was invaded in their church service, and, and many of the family members and the children were, were killed by gunshot. And, and several days after that, the heads of the Amish family went to the home of the, of the uh, murderer and ministered to the family and offered forgiveness. Now, that is radical love. I, I don't know that I could do that. But can you imagine forgiving a terrorist that took the life of your children? That describes for me and you the radical love of God. That's what God has done for you and for me. That, that's beyond my comprehension. I, I, I could not do that. But yet God did when he gave his life on Calvary for you and for me. J.D. Greer has said there is nothing, by the way, J.D. Greer was one of the most um, more recent, I should say, Southern Baptist Convention uh, presence that we have. In a message, he said, there's nothing we can do that would make God love us more, and there's nothing we have done that would make God love us less. He says, God is your Father who could not love you any more than he does at this very moment. Does that not marvel you? Does that not cause you to marvel that God cannot love you any more than he does at this very moment? Some of you sitting here today are working real hard and hoping that God would love you more. 
Some of you here today are serving God and serving Him faithfully, hoping that because you are faithful, He'll love you more or bless you more. Friends, remember, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more than He does at this very moment. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less than He does at this very moment. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm chapter 139, that God keeps a journal about you and me every day. And he writes in that journal his impression and his love for you and for me every single day. Pastor wrote one time that grace, this love, this grace of God for us is the heart of God to do you good when you deserve it the least. When we deserve it the least. Well, let us marvel at God's grace. And you know what? When we marvel at the grace of God, we are worshiping Him. When we stand in awe at the love and mercy of Almighty God, greater than any human definition of love, Greater, more radical than any human has ever displayed of love. Let us marvel. Let us be in awe. And recapture that freeing, delivering grace and love of Almighty God that motivates us and energizes us to serve Him and to love others like He loves us. You don't have to find a reason in someone else to love them. The reason to love all people is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And to get lost in that marveling and that awe experience of God's love makes you want to love and be gracious to other people. So I want to share with you four ways in conclusion how we can share that love and be gracious to other people. One, be forgiving. Be forgiving as Christ forgave us. Your life becomes a living portrait of the gospel. You are living it out. People see the gospel of the cross as you forgive other people. In fact, Jesus said, be kind, or the, or the Bible says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ and God has forgiven you. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 32, extend forgiveness. It's how you not only live out the gospel, but it's how you portray the gospel to other people. Who's that person in your life that needs forgiveness? Number one, if you have anybody that's offended you, you need to forgive them so you can move on with your life. Number two, extend or be an encourager. Extend encouragement. Gracious words to other people brings energy and life to the room. These, energ uh, these energizing words, they point to Jesus. They bring truth and kindness into the room. And so we are living in the very grace of God when we are extending 
encouragement to other people. The Apostle Paul writes, Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Number three, give a helping hand. Extend a helping hand. Paul writes, In His grace, God has given us different gifts, different gifts for doing certain things very well. When you serve other people, you're using gifts and talents that God's given you, and you're extending grace to them. You're extending grace to others. And fourthly, extend the hope of the gospel. Have a gospel conversation this week. Pray that God will put somebody in your path that you will have an opportunity for a gospel conversation. Now, what is a gospel conversation? Number one, it's telling your story of when you first said yes to Jesus. When did you first say yes to Jesus? Jesus, you have your way in my life. Jesus, you be Lord of my life. Jesus, you forgive me of my sin. I say yes to you and I will follow you. When did you do that? You have a story to tell that will change somebody else's life and bring hope to other people as well. Paul said, I was the worst guy in the world until I found Jesus. And when he said yes to Jesus, he became the most encouraging Christian that has ever lived. His life was overflowing with grace through the gospel and bringing hope to those who did not know Christ. You have a story to tell. So be forgiving is one way that you can extend grace. Be an encourager. That's a way. You know, it's easy to find fault. It's easy to find fault. Uh, some of you will leave church today and you'll say, well, the temperature could have been better. You know, the sermon could have had more uh, humor in it. Uh, the special music could have been this or that, and we could have, you know, and you'll leave picking at what could have been different or could have been better, and you don't mind telling other people that. Is that grace? Is that the gospel? Is that how we value the cross of Christ? Is that how we marvel at the grace of God? Instead of marveling in God's grace, we marvel at our own self-righteousness. That's what that's an indicator of. It really is. Let's be encouragers. Let's be forgiving. Let's find somebody that needs a helping hand. Let's extend the hope of the gospel and have a conversation about Christ. Will you bow with me in prayer? Today, this invitation is for anyone who will give their heart to Christ today and say yes to Jesus and say, I want to be a follower of Christ now. I'm going to invite you to come as we sing this song in just a moment. And I'll pray that prayer with you as we confess sin and ask Christ to forgive us of our sin and turn our life over to Him and let Him be our Lord and be our Savior. Maybe you want to unite with our church from the sister church. We come to you can we will receive you as well. Uh, maybe you just want to come and pray, or any other decision that you think needs to be acknowledged in public. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to declare before others our faith in you, and not to be ashamed of you. Lord, we don't want you to be ashamed of us before we stand in that day of judgment. And so, Father, help us to discern what your will is and to take that step forward in faith that will bring glory and honor to you. 
Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Forgive us daily, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. And walk with us, Father, that we might be the encouragers you want us to be, that we might be the forgiving people of God that you want us to be, that we might be open to a gospel conversation this week. And, Lord, you be glorified by every decision that's made. In Jesus' name I pray. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Ekron Baptist Church. 2775 Hayesville Road, Ekron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ekron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.